Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Straight Shooting with Pistol Pete. I'm here today with Bob Lorenz. Bob is a studio host for the Yankees, the Yankees pregame and postgame shows. He also does pregame and post for the Brooklyn Nets, can also be seen on Yankees Hot Stove during the offseason. So first and foremost, Bob, how are you doing? How is your wife and how are the rest of your family doing? Pete, it's great to see you. Miss your face at the studio. Miss everybody there right now, but at least we can hook up on Zoom here. Uh, everybody's good. My uh, wife and I are all clear uh, here in Connecticut. Our two kids are older. They live in Los Angeles. They're both good, able to work from home, that sort of thing. So knock on wood, everything is great so far. And um, how about everything with you? Good? Everything's good. I'm here in Queens with my girlfriend, and so far, so good. We're getting out for walks every single day, which is nice. As long yeah. as the weather is okay, we try to get out as much as possible. Go in the grocery store, try to limit that once a week. Uh, that's always a challenge going in there and yeah. making sure I'm wearing my mask and whatnot. But, uh, yeah, so far, so good. No one in my family, that immediate family I know, has contracted this or have been sick, so – Fingers crossed it stays that way, knock on wood like you just yeah. did. And, uh, you know what drives me crazy, Pete, about the grocery stores, though? Like, some of them want to use the arrows, like the one-way thing. And I'm just so used to going, like, okay, I know on aisle five, that's where the whatever, paper towels, I don't know. And so I go down there, and then when I cut down that aisle, I realize I'm going the wrong way. I'm like, I feel like I'm violating some, you know, code, or I'll get a ticket or something, but it's crazy. I don't, I'm not, not a fan of that. I just want to go down the aisle. We're going to cross paths with people anyway you know right i agree i, I mean i've i've got a little agitated with people i gotta admit with that the one-way thing i'm seeing <laughs> someone come down at me i'm like don't you see in the front of the sign but i kind of understand that people are so used to going both ways down the aisle i get why they're doing it in my stop and shop they have that and then one aisle i think it's aisle nine they have everyone line up there and they call you up to check out i mean it's different but I understand what they're trying to do. I'm just telling you, Pete, don't get in my way. Don't slow me down. <laughs> I will knock you down. <laughs> I don't doubt it. I don't doubt it. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to take you back a little bit to start things off here. You graduated from Southern California um, with a great degree in broadcast journalism. Yep. How did that kind of shape your landscape as far as being a broadcaster? You went from there. You started out with two local television stations in Florida and California. How did yeah. that kind of shape your career a little bit? Uh, transferring, so I transferred into USC. I was at Cal Poly Pomona playing baseball, and I knew I wasn't going anywhere with it, um, so I had to really focus on academics and my degree. I had a buddy transfer a semester ahead of me, and I helped him with a TV project. I'm like, I need to be at USC. So I was able to get in, um, and it, the reason I'm saying that is because I had an internships, uh, the writing classes that I had, the job that I had, I had a full-time job that was like writing news and sports for a, a company at the time called CBS Extravision. It was owned by CBS. All of that came because of USC. And so the resume tape that I had for my first on-air job, getting right out of school, a lot of that was from all the stuff that I'd done at that internship, which was the city of Torrance, California. And I would do play-by-play -play for anything from junior college to little league in sports, hosted their elections, a magazine show. Uh, all kinds of stuff like that. So I had a real strong resume tape coming out of school that I could go get a job. So once those uh, two jobs started, you had the local TV station, Florida and West Palm, and then California as well. You did both of those, and then you went on to work at CNN and Sports Illustrated. 
Yeah. How did you get involved with CNN Sports Illustrated? And how did those jobs at the local TV station, the local level, help you get to the big stage on CNN? Well, the good thing about both not only being in school, because we had to learn to do everything, edit, write, shoot camera. My first job, the California one in Eureka, California, I was a one-man band. I was the sports director. I shot my own video. I put together my own sports casts, everything. So that obviously was helpful. That helped me get the job in West Palm Beach. I was there for three years. And my connection to CNN was a woman who was an agent at the time was visiting her parents down in Boca Raton, Florida, which is close to West Palm Beach. She saw me and said, hey, if you ever want to, you know, do business together, might be able to move you on from here. And she knew somebody at both CNN and ESPN. And uh, the connection was made with CNN. And after three years in West Palm, I got the job at CNN. What are some of your most memorable moments from your time there? You did a bunch of different shows, um, yeah. Super Bowl stuff, college football stuff. A lot of different things. You were in kind of all different phases of sports. What are some of your most memorable moments from your time at CNN Sports Illustrated? Uh, I, I, I was lucky enough to cover a lot of different things. Uh, I was sort of a, their specialty show host. So I'd host the baseball show, NFL, college football, college basketball, NBA, that sort of thing. Um, I mean, memorable moments. I was there the night that uh, uh, Mike Tyson bit off of Andrew Holyfield's part of his ear. And we were, we basically took over CNN that night for about three hours with all the coverage. It was pretty incredible. I, we just, you're like, what just happened? Fire <laughs> up the cameras. Let's go. <laughs> um, you remember when the Braves played the Pirates? Well, you, you might not, you're a lot younger than me, but Braves played the Pirates and the Braves rallied and Sid Bream slid home. Okay. I was out in right behind the right field wall for that game. Wow. And waiting with all the police horses because it looked like the Pirates were going to win, right? And then the Braves had the rally going. And one of my great memories of that night is our photographer, John McAfee, was a big Braves fan. And he was standing up with a better vantage point. And he's telling me, he's like, you know, Terry Pendleton, he just did, that was a ball of Pendleton hit, you know, the whatever. And he's kind of doing the play-by-plays, letting us know. It was so exciting. You're looking up and there's, you know, 50,000 screaming fans. And you're, you're, again, I'm down in kind of the bullpen area in right field. All the grounds crew, all the police and the horses and everything. And the minute Sid Breen slid in, that gate opened and we all just started sprinting out on the field. The camera guy to get the best shots, the reaction, me to do interviews. It was, it was electric. Wow. And then I happened to be at the World Series where Joe Carter won it with the home run. Oh, you were in the this funny, stadium? Yeah. The wow. funniest thing about that, though, was that we were all, as a media, you're assembled underneath, right? Wow. And it's a dome and it's whatever. So we're all watching on, like, this security guard's nine-inch black and white monitor <laughs> trying to figure out what is going on. And then you hear the explosion of what happened. And we ran out on the field and started doing our thing. So those are just a few of them. A lot of good moments, but those are some of them. So in 2002, Yes Network starts up. It's the first year, and you are thrown right into there. I mean, you got hired right away in 2002. You've been with Yes Network and ever since. Yeah. So it's pretty cool that you started out there when the Yes Network began. How did that yeah. come about, and what drew you to Yes, and why did you take – job that you're presented with so what happened was and again this is for anybody who watches and believes in connections and friends in the business um i worked at cnn for years with fred hickman fred hickman was the first anchor for the yes network 
And that first year, he started getting a little worn out because he was doing everything that they had in studio. And so they asked him, hey, who would you recommend we call to, you know, take a few reps off your hands? And he said, give Bob a call. So I was in Atlanta and I flew up for a weekend series and they liked what I did. And they had a football show that fall. So I filled in for Fred a couple more times during the baseball season. Um, and started doing a little bit of Nets work as well that year. And then they had a football show in the fall. So I would come up and do that football show. And I did that. I came, commuted back and forth for about two years before we ended up moving up here. So you've been there since 2002. So coming up, this is the 18th year, I believe it's going to be. It'll be, I mean, technically the way it works, it's like the 19th season we broadcast. Yeah. It would be the 2020 season. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, for you, if you can, for me, I kind of know what you go through working with you at Yes, but for the people watching who might not know, what does a typical day look like for Bob Lorenz on a game night? Say the Yankees are playing at seven or the Nets are playing at seven. What does your day look like as far as when you wake up? What are you thinking about to do for the following day? Yeah. Uh, during the game, what are you doing to prepare yourself for the halftime show or the cut-ins? And then the post game show, just kind of take me through what a normal day is like for you. Sure. Day. Well, let's say it's the first, well, I would do this any day, but I would get up in the morning, have a cup of coffee, read through the papers, see what's going on uh, with the Yankees. So get like a, some prep work ahead of time. Then when I get into the studio about three, three thirty, there's obviously the stat packet that research puts together a uh, pre-production meeting, as you know, that we do on Facebook Live, which you're a big part of. You always bring in a few little little gems. Yeah, I try. I some try. nuggets. Yeah, you do. So anyway, um, we, we'd have that meeting. Jack and I, let's say it's Jack Curry and I in studio. We would talk through some things in my office as well, specific angles that he wants to, I can steer him towards. And then we do the pregame at 6.30. And it, it's different. The first game of a series, as you know, from let's say it's a three-game series. Because my prep work for that first game of the series would be different from games two and three, because a lot of what we're doing in games two and three are just sort of rehashing what happened in the game before and looking at trends in that series. So that would be it. Then game time, Jack and I watch the entire game in my office. I do the cut-ins in the fourth and seventh innings, and then we're ready to go on the, the post game. So we hustle upstairs with maybe three outs left in the game. And we either start doing a post game or they end up going 15 innings and we sit in the studio for three hours more. <laughs> so you have worked with a ton of different analysts, Jack, John Flaherty. I could go on and on down the yep. list. David Cohn. There's been so many. And then for the Nets, you got a totally different set of people working for the Nets. Right. For you personally, being the host and kind of, you know, giving those guys the opportunity to show themselves and show their knowledge. How do you kind of build that relationship with them? Does it take longer for others than it does for like Jack, who you've been with forever? And how does that work, that relationship when you're on camera? Well, I would say it's different for everybody because Jack and John Flaherty are more of the constants right. uh, in the studio. You know, we get a little bit of David Cohn, Paul O'Neill, Ken Singleton. They come in once in a while. So I have great relationships with all of them. And, you know, usually to build those relationships, it begins with sitting down, having a conversation, maybe having dinner together. You get to know the person's personality, see how they react to things and a sense of humor and that sort of thing. I think that helps with anybody. But obviously, the more reps you get with somebody, 
the more you know them and the better you are. And, and so it's that way with Jack Curry and myself and then John Flaherty as well. When both those guys, Pete, walked into the studio, we were working together for the first time. It was like, wow. Like these guys are prepared. They get it. I can throw anything their way. And I never have to worry like I'm going to blindside them or embarrass them or anything like that. That's how good the relationship is now because I know I can just – let it fly. I think that's important, as you know, when we're doing post-game shows. They're right. all unscripted. You got to be able to adapt on the fly. There's no safety net. And with those guys, it's it's terrific. So rain delays. I talked to Jack about this a couple <laughs> of weeks ago when I interviewed him. He said he really likes it sometimes just because you guys get to converse and talk baseball and it's not scripted. You could ask him notes he's written down, he could use, you could ask him certain things. What's your thoughts on those rain delays, the chance for you and Jack to kind of, you know, talk about things that you might not be able to talk about on a scripted show? No, he's absolutely right. The funny thing is you go into a rain delay, Pete, and you're thinking, let me look at the forecast first. Are we looking at maybe an hour here or are we looking at potentially three hours, you know, and you're like, ah, okay. But once you get going in them, they're so much fun. Right. Um, there are no time constraints really. So the beauty for me is sort of traffic copying that situation is I know, let's say our producer, Jared Boschnack wants to go to break, but in this case, unlike a pregame show where we have to, you know, it's 30 minutes and that's it. I have the liberty and the latitude to ask Jack two or three more questions as it relates to what we're talking about, or maybe take it a little different direction for talking about, let's say infielders on the team. And I don't have to worry about, a producer in my ear, like, we got to go to break. We got to <laughs> rain delays. We got time, baby. So <laughs> we can just let it rip. And it is, and it is fun. Uh, yeah, I yeah. mean, I said to Jack, and yeah. I'm going to say to you as well, I really enjoy sometimes watching the rain delay coverage. I mean, being there at the studio sometimes, sitting there yeah. through that isn't the most fun. But <laughs> I'm watching it. You know, it's cool sometimes you hear the stories that Jack might have or you might, you know, yeah. how you guys feed off each other during that. Because you don't get a chance – to really hear that because everything's so scripted and you have only right. a certain amount of time, you have a half hour show, there's commercials mixed in. But sometimes I like the rain delay coverage because you get a yeah. chance to really see what you guys can, you know, bring to the table as far as Jack's knowledge and stuff like that. Um, yeah. Well, the one thing I just want to add about that, sure. Pete, is the great thing is, is let's say we're doing a pregame show and Jack has time for, he has 10 notes on Glaber Torres he'd love to get to, right. but he can only get to three. That rain delay allows him to empty his notebook and do the other seven during the rain delay coverage or however many he wants, but chance to really expand on some subjects makes it a lot nicer. And that's why the preparation, I think, is so key. You touched upon it as far as you preparing for your game and Jack and John and all the analysts and you included and all the hosts included as well do their preparation. But I think it's really important for journalists or broadcasters or aspiring broadcasters to know that, you know, always have more than what you think you need yeah. just because of certain things like that and the rain delay you're not scrambling to find things because you had that prepared already and you're ready to go when called upon right no that's exactly it and that's why i love that i can never blindside those guys they're always prepared why not be over prepared if you can be right instead of under prepared good point so you've interviewed and talked to a lot of really really big athletes big names in the business I think the most cool thing ever was, you know, recently for you is I had a chance to talk to Derek Jeter in the interview right after he was officially inducted into the Hall of Fame. That was awesome. I had a chance, you and Jack, uh, to talk with him. 
from your career, it might be tough for you to pinpoint one or two, but is there one or two that stands out among the rest? If not, who are some of your favorite people you interviewed over your career? I mean, I would, I would, so I'll go back to the beginning, near the beginning in West Palm beach. I get, I get there on the weekend sports guy. So I report during the week and, and then I'm the anchor on the weekends. And at this point I'm, 22 i think something like that and i've got to walk up to we have the senior open there golf and you know my my dad and i my brother would watch golf and we saw nicholas palmer you know we're watching tv all the time well they're playing in the senior open and here's this dorky 22 year old has to walk up to legends like nicholas and palmer and be like uh, excuse me i'm bob lorenz from channel five can i get an interview nervous as heck you know just to do that but they were so gracious and I ended up doing a three-part series, you know, several years later on Jack Nicholas. sat down with him in his office. Again, so gracious, giving us his time. I, I, th- I think of people like that. I think of people who are really good personalities, good interviews. Um, you know, not it, it's not so much, I guess, the people. It's the stories that they have to tell. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do remember, again, I mentioned the Evander Holyfield thing. Once all the dust settled on that, we actually did a live interview with him on CNN that was carried on both CNN, SI, and CNN from his house in Atlanta. And so we went over everything that happened in that fight. That, that, was, that was an interesting night, too. But there's so many of them now, it's kind of like a blur. <laughs> what was that moment like where I just referenced, so talking to Jeter pretty much fresh off him getting that phone call that he was going to the Hall of Fame? What was that moment like? You guys pretty much... I think maybe the MLB network maybe had a thing before you guys, but you were yeah. right, right in the mix as well. What, is it, what was it like to be one of the first person to talk to him as he got inducted into the Hall of Fame? Yeah, first of all, very thankful that he was gracious enough and his representatives to book that time with us. I think we knew we had around 10 minutes. We might have gone longer. I'm not sure. It was pretty free-flowing and organic. But I thought – I thought his content was very good. I thought he's a guy that seemed very relaxed at peace. He knew he was in, he knew he could talk about it. Um, and to hear the connections and obviously Jack wrote a book with him. Right. So they have that contact of him and his family and we're able to bring up some of those, the personal side of him, not just being Derek Jeter icon and hall of famer, but also the family side and the involvement that his family's mom and dad and sister had in, in his growth. I, I think, that really stood out to me about that interview. So I'm going to have a little fun here. Uh, right. I don't want to be too serious about the interview questions, and I know you're a fun guy, so I think you would uh, appreciate some of these questions. So right. first things first, if you weren't a broadcaster, I know you wanted to be a broadcaster um, for a long time, but if you weren't a broadcaster, what would your career of choice have been? Wow. I mean, career of choice. I would have been. What would you have wanted to do if you wanted? (laughs) (laughs) That was choice number one. Try and be a professional baseball player. That didn't work out. So I, I, my fallback was being in sports broadcasting. Uh, That's a great question. I don't know. I joke with my wife sometimes. She's a flight attendant. That if I wasn't doing this, I'd do what she does and fly all over the world and see cool places. But I'm not sure if I do that. I'm not sure I'd have the patience she has for customer service. So you're known as the candy man at Yes Network and in your office is candy, always candy, some sort of candy in there. And, you know, people go in there and take what they want here and there. What's your favorite candy and what always has to be in your office, um, whether it be a candy or kind of snack for you? 
All right, so it's always plain M&Ms, peanut M&Ms, occasionally the caramel M&Ms. I'll throw the mint ones in sometimes. Always a couple M&Ms products. Um, so the, the plain M&Ms, those are for Flaherty. He likes them, but that's probably what I dip into as well. Yep, I like Jack's feared off a little bit. Jack Curry likes like Twizzlers, that kind of thing. I've thrown, added those to the mix. Okay. Um, let's see. The peanut butter cups. I have Reese's regular dark okay. chocolate and white chocolate. Our head of research, Jeff Quagliata, loves the white chocolate Reese's, so those are for him. And I've recently, I wouldn't say recently, last season on a consistent basis, Pete, I added Skittles. Okay. Because Glenn G and Grandy loves Skittles, so... He'll come in and use the scooper and just be dishing those out all night long. Maybe you get a commercial with Marshawn Lynch. <laughs> Never know. Never know. Put it out there. Awesome. <laughs> um, favorite show you've been been watching or a couple of shows you've been binge watching while in quarantine? All right. So we got through both seasons of Dead to Me on Netflix. Okay. Loved it. Loved Christina Applegate and that. Linda Cardellini worked really well together. Mm -hmm. uh, we watched Upload recently on Amazon Prime. I checked that out. Really interesting futuristic take. Do you know the story? No, I don't. I, futuristic I don't take on, in the future, you can have your consciousness before you die taken out of your body. You know you're dying. Taken out of your body and you live forever in this, oh. what they call heaven, and they have different versions of it. It depends what you can afford. So... It's basically like a data plan for your phone. Wow. And it's, um, you know, like the guy that dies, his girlfriend is paying for unlimited data. So he lives in the best place. You know, he lives whatever. But And you can still interact with your humans. Mm -hmm. You just, you're dead. So your consciousness is the one interacting. But you can call him on a cell phone. You can do whatever. Wow. Yeah, it's a... It's funny, and it's a it's a bit of a love story. It's a bit of it's there's some comedy in there. There's some little bit of drama. So okay. yeah, I recommend upload. It's and I think it's ten episodes. It's a quick watch. It's good. That's not bad on Amazon Prime. You said yeah, Amazon Prime. I have that, so I gotta check that out. Yeah. Um, have you been cooking at all? And if so, what is the best thing that Bob Lorenz makes? Wife cooks more than I do. She's great at it. I'm kind of her sous chef. I clean up after her, chop some things. That's kind of my specialty. Uh, one of the things I love that she makes is uh, we'll do something with shrimp, like shrimp garlic pasta with butter or olive oil. So good. Um, if I had to make something, it would just be something simple. Steak, throw something on the grill, you know, typical. I can make chili. I make pretty good chili, so that might be something I would throw in a pot. Chili's good. I got an instant pot and a crock pot, so just throw those in there and then I don't have to worry yeah. about, you know – just press a button. What's, what's your big Instapot? What, what are you throwing there? I've been making chicken enchilada soup, which has been, I got to say. Nice. Uh, I've seen Meredith make some kind of version on her uh, Instagram live as well. So I might have to have a cook off with her. But uh, yeah. we'll see with that. I mean, yeah, chicken enchilada soup, it's just really easy. Not too many ingredients. Just throw it all in that Instant Pot. You know, press the button for 20 minutes. And that's one of the best things that I think I've ever Ever boy, I bought it for my girlfriend for uh, for Christmas, <laughs> but I mean, we both use it. Just it's an easy cleanup, and it just for me. I mean, I know how to cook some things, but that makes it a lot easier. There's all recipes online for instant pot. So, so, so that was a gift for her. Okay, I got gotcha. you. <laughs> <laughs> all right, just a couple more things, and I'll let you go. Um, right. Baseball, hopefully, will be coming back soon. 
we have to wait and see. There's been a lot of speculation as far as uh, different the rules that came out a couple of days ago is what's going to be involved as far as social right. distancing in the game and stuff like that. It seems crazy to me. Um, and the players have, you know, voice air opinions, some of them as far as pace concerns and stuff like that. Right. Uh, first thing is what do you miss the most of not being at the studio? And two, when you get back, what are some of the things you're just really looking forward to doing? Well, obviously the camaraderie, we're all like a family at Yes, and I don't say that lightly, it's true, we really are. So I miss that. I miss the energy of doing live broadcasts, pregame and postgame. There's always a good energy to doing that. Um, and, you know, miss the games themselves. It's a great three hours a night to sit and watch a game and the twists and turns. Every swing of the bat could provide some drama that you never know is coming, you know, every pitch. Right. So I love that aspect of baseball. The story is always changing in those nine innings or nine plus innings. Well, the final um, thing. Yeah. Right, go ahead. Go ahead. No, that, that, that's it. That's really what I miss about being there. Well, the final thing is before I let you go, we touched on it before as far as the rain delay is concerned. But if you had to pick one thing and one thing only, would you rather sit through a rain delay coverage or an extra inning, say 15 inning game? I'd rather do – see, that's tough. I can only pick one. It's only two. It's 50-50. See, I love the rain delay for the idea of being able to just let it fly. Um, the, the long games can be a little taxing because you you're always up in the studio at that point. You're hooked up to your mic, uh, your, your uh, IFB and everything. Right. But there's – all that drama from the ninth inning on, right. which you love. Now, if it's a 15-inning game and it's just they're going one, two, three, one, two, three, you're just like, ah. Uh, but, you know, you want some situations where space is loaded, one out, team can win it, you see what happens. Right. I'm just going to say rain delay only because I've had those extra inning games where it's like 15 innings in Seattle. <laughs> so we're there till like 3 in the morning. So I'll take – based on that, I'll take the rain delay. Yeah, I mean, if I were there and I had to choose between sitting through a rain delay and extra innings, I mean, it is tough. It depends. I mean, it could be an 11-inning game. That's fine. But then you get the ones that drag out. So it's right. kind of a hard question to ask as far as – I guess the question would be a 15-inning game as compared to a rain delay. I mean, 11, 12 you could deal with. But once it starts yeah. getting, you know, way late at night, especially imagine those West Coast games, like you said, with Seattle, that don't start until 10. And then right. Those are the those don't end till two, three o'clock in the morning. So now, now, if you're going to tell me rain delay for three hours followed by cancellation of game or postponement of game, I'd be like, oh my god, <laughs> we're going to have to make this up somewhere anyway down the line. So the good thing about the Nets is when you do those games, you don't got to worry about rain delays. I mean, I guess the roof can leak a little bit, but uh, <laughs> what are the odds, right? Uh, probably not. So that's the good thing about those Nets broadcasts. You kind of know what you're going to be getting into, you know, you have about two and a half hour game, then you'd be doing well in between you do the halftime show and then do the post game. Yep. Show. But yep. everybody loves the clock. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> yeah, baseball could be a little bit different. You never know. Mother nature is unpredictable for sure. No doubt. All right, Bob, thanks for joining me today. It's great to see you. And I'm glad that everyone's doing well as far as your family is concerned. So hopefully we get baseball soon and we can all get back to what we enjoy doing, which is the broadcasting of the Yankee games. And with the NBA season in limbo too, there's some Nets games possibly. If that comes back, we could be. Yep. 
Also. Well, it's everything's in flux, right? But hopefully we're pushing in the right direction. That's the good news.